I'm so glad that you're joining us here today and joining us online for the second week of our series called What's Next? Because the reality is in our life, in our faith, there is a next step. There's a deeper place that we need to go in our relationship with God. And today is one that I just think is so, so crucial. I had the opportunity to reconnect with an old friend this last week. It was kind of interesting circumstances. It was one of those people, you know, how you, you have that person that you worked with a long time ago and you're like, that is a great dude. That is an awesome lady. Like they were just so encouraging. They just, they were real. Like, I don't know if you have a person like that, but th- that was this person for me. I haven't talked to him for literally about 10 years. And then a couple of days ago, I saw on their Facebook, they shared a post that they had pretty much gotten knocked down and they were sick and they were isolated because they're in quarantine because they, they got COVID. And it was one of the tougher cases. And, and he's a decently young guy. He's a really fit guy. And so he's not one that's normally too serious. And he's, he's doing okay. I don't want you to go that direction. Don't be worried. Like he, He's okay. But he was just walking through the difficult space of feeling like, mm, uh, I, I'm by myself. And so when I saw that post, I was like, you know, FaceTime, let's go right now. Like probably sick and in bed and doesn't want to be seen on video. But if he's bored enough, he'll answer anyway. <laughs> so, so we start chatting and he was so glad to talk to me. I was so glad to get to catch up with him and just hear what, what's been going on in the last few months. And he was at a church that was nearby when I lived somewhere else. And he was one of those guys who was just always real. Like he told it the way it was, the way it felt. And it got him in trouble. In fact, it actually kind of got him pushed out of his church, unfortunately. I mean, that happens sometimes when someone says, you know, you, you ask them how they're doing, like, today is terrible. And, you know, it's like, okay, I'm not going to ask you that question anymore. Like, he, he was the guy who was just told you, like, the way it is. And because he went through that with the church and he kind of got, got pushed out, he had some pain that had kept him from being in the church, even though he knew in his head, he knew in his heart that he should be. And as we talked, he's like, he told me, he's like, you know, as I've been in, in this COVID quarantine, God's just really straightened some things, and I, I know things that I, I need to, you know, get better on and things that I need to get right. And we talked directly just about church stuff. And, and it, it, was, it was interesting. The thing that really showed it to him is he said, you know, I, I recognized the mistake I'd, I had made when I got this sickness and I went into isolation and I felt like I had no one to talk to about it. And when you go through a difficult time, when you go through a loss, when you go through a sickness, when you go through a challenge, it's, it's enough just facing the challenge. But when you recognize this is going to be difficult just based on what happened, and I have to go through it by myself, that's a whole new level of difficulty. That's a whole new level of depression that we have to work through when we feel like we're isolated and going through something. And I want to tell you right from the beginning you were intentionally designed and you were not designed to go through life alone. You were not designed to go through difficulty alone. And especially men, you have learned from a young age to man up, act strong, keep a a straight face on, don't let anyone know that you're hurting. And I understand you've bought into that, but you were not meant to face life's challenges by yourself. You were meant to face them in community. And today, if you're paying attention to the video, you can probably predict the weeks that are coming up because they're right there written to you. But this week is about finding community. And I want to tell you, this is such a crucial part of our faith. This is such a crucial part of biblical faith in Christ that we were designed 
to follow Christ and live for God in a community, not in isolation. And the way that scripture works, the way that we're supposed to live it out, I, I think that it's become difficult because so many of us have at times experienced loss or pain or offense within a church. And so we kind of step back from community and we just, we, we stop at attendance. And, you know, I, my, my friend, he, he got hurt from a church. I, I can tell you of, you know, there's lots of people who got hurt from church. One person, it was the church people who criticized him, mocked him, who, who tried to push him out of fellowship, who had him arrested, put to death. I, I mean, you understand, like, this, this is Jesus that we're talking about. If anyone could be offended, if anyone could hold offense against church people, the number one person who could be offended would be Jesus himself. But even when he was on the cross, what he had to say about the people who were putting through, him through extreme pain was, Father, forgive them, they know what, not what they do. If anyone could have set the example for holding a grudge and, and for, for being upset about the pain that they experienced, it could have been Jesus. I mean, you know, on, on the day of judgment, the people who put him through that pain, like he's waving at him with his nail-pierced hand. He's like, you remember who did this? This was you. But his nail-pierced hand, his suffering, his difficulty, even in the midst of it, he said, Father, forgive them. The level of grace that he displayed is something that is difficult for us to even imagine attaining to, but I want to start in that place because the person who guides our life by the way that he lived, by the things that he taught, it has to start with Jesus. And so I want to start in the place, if you have been hurt or offended by the church in the past, I want you to look at your Savior as the example. Jesus loves the church, and you should too. And this is the first point, and it's a simple one, but it's an important one because I think some of us right now have been tolerating the church. And this isn't about me, this isn't about my preaching, this isn't about our music style, this isn't about buildings that we're in, it's not about the clothes that we wear when we're at church, or our service times, or anything about how we do church. I'm talking about the people and the way that you feel about the people that you worship. I'm talking about the way that you feel about people who worship in other churches here in town or in other states. When I say the church and you think of an emotion that you feel towards those people, I want you to put that emotion in conflict if it needs to be with how Jesus feels about the church. Because even in the midst of them causing him pain, his heartbeat was, Father, forgive them. They, they don't understand what they're doing. And if we hold on to animosity towards others who have hurt us in the past. It's this really bad thing where we say, well, I don't like church people because they're so judgmental. So you don't even know the church people yet, but you've already judged them because they're judgmental. <laughs> I mean, do you see, begin to spot? It's terrible how, how we can catch what we hate. That other people, they were judgmental towards us, and so we just write off this whole group of people before we even get to know them. And I, I want to call you back to, to the beginning of, of, of when you first got connected to the church, and all you had to say about them is they were loving, they brought me in, they brought me the message of salvation. That feeling that you had at the beginning, I want to call you back towards it, because that's where we need to stay. And this is not to say that your hurt in the past was illegitimate. This is not to say that you didn't go through an authentic hurt from them. This is just to say that we are going to figure out how to be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another as Christ forgave us. This is to say that, that our initial view, that we're going to look at them and we're going we're to learn and we're going to attempt to love them the way that Jesus loves them. 
Uh, pa- Pastor Chris Hodges, I shared about him a little bit last week. Uh, he, he told a story about how he was getting on a flight one time from New Orleans. And, you know, New Orleans, most people go there not to preach like he was doing. They, they go there to party and enjoy themselves. And so he was on the plane, and he's an introvert like many of you. And so he had an open seat next to him, and he was praising the Lord for his open seat. And then a woman started coming down the aisle, and she's like high-fiving everybody. Like she spent her time partying. And he retells it this way. He says, when I saw her, I said, please, Lord, if you love me, do not let her sit next to me. And that was his prayer. And she got to his aisle. She stopped and she said, I get to sit next to you and sat down right next to him. And she's chatting and he's trying, you know, one of the international signs where I don't want to talk to you is taking a book and holding it high. And, you know, he's trying to read, trying to ignore. And she starts talking to him. She asks, what do you do? And he says, I'm a pastor. And without missing a beat, she says, oh, well, I don't like Christians. And without missing a beat, he said, I don't either. That's why I had to plant my own church. And that caught her off guard, like, exactly. And now you guys are questioning, wait, why did you plant this church, Paul? That's not what this message is about. Um, This message is about how he didn't even miss a beat. It didn't faze him when she brought out her past hurt and said, well, I don't like Christians. And, And he said, I get it. Because so many churchgoers have hurt so many people in so many different ways because the other churchgoers are just like you. They get caught on their bad day. They get caught on their hangups. And we often, they often need to see someone who is a picture of grace to overcome the difficulty that they've seen from people in the past. And as they talked, she asked questions because she felt like she could actually talk to someone about the things that she didn't understand. She ended up watching one of his messages the next week and emailed and called him to let him know. As As she listened to him, she gave her heart to Christ for the first time. She understood for the first time. And it's, it's interesting how she went from, I, I don't like Christians, I don't like churchgoers, to becoming one of them. Now look, the way that we see the church, it can be an obstacle. It can be a problem. And I, really in the first part of this message, I just want to begin to put a spotlight on how have you been feeling about the church? Because if you've been harboring a wounded place in your heart, that you haven't let God heal yet, it's going to impede your spiritual growth. It's not going to hurt the people who hurt you in the past when you hold on to that bitterness. It is going to impede your spiritual growth. And so I just want to put that spotlight on there and let you and God work out what needs to be healed and how it needs to be healed. Because even those people that you don't like, God loves them. And you're called to love them, and I want to make sure I clarify, when, when Scripture talks about you being called to love them, it doesn't just say a feeling. When, when we love someone, we're willing to serve for them, we're willing to work for them, we're willing to speak good of them, we're willing to pray for them, we're willing to give, we're, we're willing to love with action. Not just, well, I won't think about them getting hit by a truck anymore. Like, that's not love. Love is not the absence of violence. Love is the presence of action. And so the way that we feel about them, the way that we see them, Jesus loves this church, so should you. And in fact, if if you're just not sure what Jesus said about how we're supposed to love people, I want to take you to his command. Jesus gave one central command to replace all of the commandments, not to replace them, to fulfill them. They are all fulfilled in this. In John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, this isn't going to be on the screen, but you can look it up later. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34. A new command I give you, love one another 
as I have loved you. In case they would get confused what I mean when I tell them to love one another, he says, look at the way that I lived. This is how you are to love one another. Not just thought, not just in feeling, but in action. And he he finishes out verse 34, so you must love one another. You cannot say, I love Jesus and disregard his most specific instruction. We are called to be a people who love one another. And especially within the context of the church, Galatians chapter 6 is all about, I mean, it's really about conflict and restoration when people mess up in the church. In verse 10, it says, therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. And so the Apostle Paul says, when we think about doing good, there should be an extra level of how hard we try to serve, to love, to encourage those who belong to the family of believers. And the way that we feel about the church, and the way that we're connected to the church, there's supposed to be this depth of love and connection and service. I'm going to put this one on the screen. 1 John chapter 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 16 says, we know how much God loves us. And we have put our trust in his love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. Now look, as the church, we should begin to, to have some concept of God's love and how much it is, that, it, that it's huge, that he takes our sin as far as the east is from the west, that he looks at us as though we have the perfection and the righteousness of Christ over us, because that's what, what happens when we become a Christian. That's how God views us. And so we understand the expanse of how big God's love is for us. And so we put our trust in his love. Now look, this is connected to God's love. That the way that he feels for us, the way that he served us through Christ, he then says, because of his love, love one another. And so if I'm putting my trust in his love, I'm saying, Other people might say, I shouldn't be kind to that person anymore, but I trust that God's love is going to cover all these things. Other people might say, I have a right to hold on to my bitterness. But God would say, replace the bitterness with love. And I, I believe that God's instruction to rest in his love, to live in his love. I mean, he just, he, it's so intimate to him, he connects it to his identity and says, God is love. And so if you're in God, then, then love is gonna be flowing through you. It's just a natural reaction that his presence is gonna cause love to happen. And I believe it's part of his character because since we don't have to hold on to bitterness and we don't have to get our own revenge, we get to just surround our life with love when they don't deserve it. We get to experience love and just give them love. We don't have to engage in their fight. (laughs) Someone got got mad at me recently. I I didn't even realize that I had offended them. I'm still going to try to connect and figure out why and how I offended them, but they they, they had one of the storm-off moments. And uh, I I heard just a little bit of the the yelling on the way out of these doors, uh, but but they were legitimately mad at me. I didn't have to argue. I didn't have to stomp my feet. And I still won't because my response to them, even in their anger, is love. If I offended you, I genuinely want to help fix it. 
I, I, I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to stand for what, I, what is right. And that will offend some people at times. I'm going to do what I believe we have to do as a church to make a difference in this city. That I might offend some people at times. But I'm going to do my best to live at peace with all people as far as it depends upon me is, is what Scripture teaches. And I, and I bring that up because I just had to stay to it because everybody loves a good argument. Like someone criticizes you, you love to put them in their place. Especially when you feel like, oh, I, I do have the comeback. Like I could drop them right now. No, no, no. Don't engage. Engage in love. And I want to tell you, it's part of God's loving nature that that's what he gives us as a response. You don't have to live in the fights. You get to, you get to live in love. And so when we think about our hurts, th- th- this is the starting point. There's some healing that needs to go on in the way that we see other Christians, other believers. And we, we live in that because Jesus so loves you, he so loves, the ch- he so loves the church that he refers to the church as his bride. In Revelations, it, it talks about when, when, the, when the church is finally fully there with Christ, that it's, it's like a wedding. It's the husband and the bride coming together because he loves the church so much. And because you love Jesus so much, you have to figure out how to love the church if there's been pain there in the past. Because it's going to impede your spiritual growth if you don't and it's going gonna, it's gonna to bring you to a point where you say, okay, I'm at church, but I'm just not connected to anyone because I don't trust them because I got hurt in the past. And it's going to get you to a point where it feels like, you, you know, the box should be checked because I'm attending church. But really, attending church is not the finish line for our faith. If anything, it's the starting line. And this is what we're going to get into in the next section. Sunday morning is a starting point, but not a finish line. It's the, it's the most common front door to anyone coming towards Christ is they'll start to attend in person and listen a little bit, but they won't be connected to anybody, but they'll be here. And in fact, the question's so common, do you attend church anywhere? When really, the, if you want to know something about people's health, you need to ask, are you connected to church anywhere? Like, like what does your connection look like? Because being here and being a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word, scripture actually says that it's deceptive. It's a deceptive point to be because you feel like you're doing something that's spiritually beneficial for your life by hearing, which I'm going to tell you, hearing can be beneficial if it leads to action. If it doesn't lead to action, then it's just deceptive. Being together for worship, it's a starting point, but it's easy to be in here and it not really ever move you. For you to come in here and never actually worship God, for you to come in here and never actually be connected, not actually ever love another person. The way that scripture talks about us being called to love one another. And, and connection to each other, it's what drives the mission. It, it's what drives our ability to, to pray for someone else, to serve someone else, to, to give to someone else in their need, to comfort someone else in, in their mourning, to, to rejoice with someone else in their celebration. Scripture time and time teaches us corrective behaviors to things that we're doing wrong that apply to how we interact with other people. It's not just about what we do in private with God. That matters incredibly. Integrity matters incredibly. But when we gather together for worship, there's supposed to be fellowship with each other. And so if in your life, your faith has looked like, I come on Sunday morning, I want to tell you, God has more for you than just being in attendance. Our faith cannot just be lived out purely academically. I, I, I get 
every, every year, multiple times per, per years, I've been in ministry for about 16 years now, there's people who say, you know, I, I want to go deeper. I want to study the challenging things. I want to do a study on revelation. I want to understand theology. And that's all good and fine. But one of the first things are, are you serving anywhere? Because if we want knowledge just to puff up our own ego of understanding things, but we're not applying the most simple things, if we're not pouring out the sweat equity for the kingdom of God, I don't think learning something more is really going to be of benefit to you. Your health matters. Your spiritual health matters. And I believe that one of the most important things to being spiritually healthy is finding a place to use your gift, not just puffing ourselves up with academic knowledge. We have to put into practice what we already know. Largely, America is theologically educated above their current level of obedience, and that's a problem. We know things that we're not applying. Let's start applying the things that we, that, that we know, and then we'll add to that knowledge. And so with, within our church, the starting point, yes, it, 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 it's attendance, but we need to actually motivate each other to do more than that, to live out our faith. Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to put this up on the screen. This is a familiar passage, and the context of the passage is it's talking about worship and, and about how we have access to the, the most holy place. And then it brings us in verse 24. It says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. I, I want to stop in, in that passage when it says, let us think of ways to motivate each other. Let's dial in on that for a minute. Other translations will, will use the term, and I really like this term, let, let us find ways to spur one another on. Because if you think of a cowboy spurring a horse to get in, that's the picture that the Greek is drawing of what we need to do for each other. And there are times where I would love to spur somebody in our church to get them moving because I'm like, I see more in you. And I want to give you the right hand of fellowship across your face to get you moving because God has more for your life. And that's not exact. I'm not, I'm not condoning physical violence. Don't take it there. I'm just talking about what I feel in my sinful flesh sometimes about wanting to help people a little bit too much, right? That's where that is. But we have to find ways, and this is what it says, let us find ways to motivate one another. This isn't just about the pastor finding ways to motivate you towards love and good works. This is saying, we as believers in Christ, we should be finding ways to motivate each other. The people beside you in the pew, the people who live on your road, who are followers of Christ, whether they come to our church or another church, we should be finding ways to encourage each other towards more love and good works. How can you do that if you don't have a relationship in any way with other believers. How can you do that if you just wholesale right off, I don't like church people? You can't fulfill what scripture is asking you to do. You can't be the picture of love that you need to be. You can't spur anybody towards love and good works. And Paul is already addressing, and let us not neglect meeting together. And I want to tell you, he wasn't just talking about only on Sundays because the early church, they met, fre met frequently together. And within the context of Gulfside, you can be in a small group that, that does a study on scripture or a book. You can be a part of an interest group. that we, we have different ones that are available at different times, everything from playing a sport to walking together to, to learning to run a 5K. There's different ways that you can be engaged with other people. One of the, the big things here at Gulfside is that by serving, you get connected to a team that is supposed to stay connected with you. And whether it's set up, kids ministry, youth ministry, whatever air, music, whatever you get connected to, that is supposed to become a community that, that if something ever happened to you, that they help surround you. 
That is supposed to be a community that helps spur you forward and motivate you towards love and good works. But if you don't ever get connected to any of those groups, you're going to miss out on a crucial part of the living out of our faith. This passage, it means that we are active not just in listening, but we're active also in speaking. Introverts, I know, you don't want to speak to other people. Unfortunately, I can't edit what Scripture has instructed you to do. You will find ways to serve, and I'm not going to make you get up here and speak, but I believe that even in the most introverted heart in our congregation, God will set words in your heart that need to be spoken to someone else. And I want to tell you, when you especially speak up, and people recognize that that person doesn't say a lot, when you speak up and give a couple words of encouragement, it carries weight because they know they're not just talking, talking, talking. They, they don't say too much. And so when they say that, when they pray for me, when, when they let me know that they're glad that I was here, I know that it comes from their heart because they're not just you know, talking because they always need to. All of us have ways to spur, to motivate, to encourage other people, and we all need to be willing to step into those situations. Our time is short. Our opportunity is passing and there, there, there's words that if we don't get them out there, we may not have another chance to speak those words to that person for many different reasons. And, and within the context of conflict in the church, I'm going to carry into this third section that I only have four minutes and 38 seconds to, but we're going to be all right. We're going to get there. Um, Galatians chapter 6, as I said before, it's a, it's a chapter that's about dealing with conflict. I'm going to read the, the first verse, and then the second verse will be on the screen. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia, and he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. And to verse 2, so that provides some context to what he's talking about. And then he says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now the context, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to the church who is some, you know, someone has done something stupid, they've messed up, they've fallen, and says, restore that person gently. And, and the, the word that's used for restore, it's the same word that was used when, when earlier in the Gospels they talked about mending nets, but like putting the pieces back together when a hole has been torn. It's the same word that's used when, like, when a, an extremity like an arm needs to be put back into joint when it's been pulled out of joint. It's this context of putting something back together so that it can fulfill its purpose. And I, I think that that part of understanding what restoration is, it's so crucial. We're called to help restore other people, not because they were wrong and they need to be right. Because if they don't get restored, they can't fulfill the purpose that they're designed for. If the net isn't mended, it can't catch fish. It will tear worse. The longer that we avoid dealing with the issue, the bigger the tear will get. If there's a shoulder that's been dislocated, if it's not reset properly, it will never work again. It needs to be done gently with purpose so that it can fulfill its purpose. And then it, it goes into carry each other's burdens. This is the design for the church, that we would carry each other's burdens, and then it directly connects to what I brought to you early, the, the, the law of Christ, that we would love one another. 
That, 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 that is the law of Christ. And so we need to carry each other's burdens, but I, I want to illustrate it for you, and we'll, we'll need to, yeah, thank you, Drew. You are on it. You're a rock star, man. Um, Drew's moving the camera so that people don't have to wonder what I did. So when we, yeah, it is my huge Jenga set here. Um, and, and I want to use this to illustrate what happens at church a lot. Because we look at church and we think, you know what, much like a Jenga block that I could just move in and out and it doesn't really affect anything. Like I can be at church when I want to be at church and then I can just slide out of church and everything's going to be fine there. And it doesn't really affect the structural stability. See, everybody's okay. But what happens is when we, when we remove ourselves from a place where we're supposed to be helping carry weight, as soon as there's a shift, as soon as something happens, as soon as someone needed us and we're not there, then people get hurt. And, and I want to be absolutely direct with you. I believe that the role that you're supposed to fill, the, the place that God ha- has for you to be, is so crucial that when we're not using the gifts that he's placed in us and we stay on the sidelines and we stop at just attending a church, we don't get engaged, then there's a place where we're supposed to be bearing weight and adding to the structural stability of what a church is. And the church is never done. Things will fall over. Things will go wrong at times in church. And God is faithful. He's not going to let his church completely fall apart. It will get rebuilt. But I'm going to say we miss opportunities when we're not where we're supposed to be. A little bit more. Another block that you're familiar with. Lego blocks. Now the difference between these two, and it creates a lot of change in the structural stability, is just these little pieces. It's just a little thing. Serving on a regular basis, it's just a little thing. Being connected to a small group, it's just a little thing. Just going out to lunch with some other people from church and hearing about their life, it's just a little thing. But these little things turn into to big things because you know, unlike a jingle block, this is not going to just slide out. Like, like I'm here, I'm planted. I, I won't just for entertainment purposes go somewhere else because I need to be there to check up on them, to help them, to pray with them, to continue to walk through them. And so I am connected to other people. And because I have people beside me, I have people around me on each side, I know that whenever things change in my life, when I go through a period of difficulty, there's other connections that are going to help hold me up. And so what does your connection look like at present with whatever church you're close to? You might be watching online from another state and have a local church, but you're just tuning in, and I want you to think, what are my connections like? What are the people that I'm allowing access to touch my life? Or have I just been sliding in and out of church like it doesn't matter because I want to tell you it does matter. We're going to roll back over here. And I, I want to close it out with this, this statement. When the church, and band, if you guys will make your way up, I'm going to close this out. When the church is connected, no one feels crushed. The weight is real. The work is real. The energy that's spent is real. There is real heartache at times. But I know even when I get hurt, I have other people that will hold me up. Even when it's difficult, I know that I can be there and I know that I will be okay. And so the question becomes, are you going to get connected? Are you going to give other people the opportunity to encourage you?
you're going to be a blockhead. Yeah, I said it that way. That's right, a blockhead. Because I think that's a good term when we know what we're supposed to do and we don't do it. When we know it's going to be better for ourselves to be connected, but we choose to stay in isolation. And if you stay in isolation long enough, you're going to get hurt in a way that takes a long time to heal. And so I just want to call you. I want to call you into something better. There's bulletins in the back. You you can fill out stuff on the bottom. We'll, We'll get in contact with you. We'll tell you all the options to serve, to get connected to other people. You can just start doing it. You can just invite someone to come have lunch with your family right after the service. There are so many ways that you can choose to get connected. But you have to choose. Am I going to be connected? Or am I going to be a blockhead? That's so spiritual, Paul. That's so spiritual. Let me pray. Father, I, I thank you that you heal what is broken. You heal what is hurting. I thank you that we get to live in love no matter how anyone else lives. And I thank you that you provide a church to be a family, to be like one body, to be in a strong connection. And I thank you that there are people all around this sanctuary that would be happy to spend time with anyone else. And so help us continue to be a church that connects well with each other, that finds community, because we know that your mission is best fulfilled in this city when we move in one one accord, one unison, as one family, lifting up the name of Christ. So may your name be lifted up because of the way that we live because of the way that we love and because of the way we do this life together in Jesus' name.